Hello and welcome to this concise Medical Minute presentation on working with pain specialists. This program is provided by Clinical Care Options in partnership with the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Practicing Clinicians Exchange, and PRO-CE. It is supported by an independent educational grant from the opioid analgesic REMS program companies. I'm Dr. Amit Nagpal. I am the incoming division chief of physical medicine and rehabilitation at the Medical University of South Carolina. With me today is Dr. Wendy Wright, an adult and family nurse practitioner at Wright & Associates Family Healthcare in Amherst and Concord, New Hampshire. So today we're going to discuss how do primary cares and pain specialists and other providers interact together to collaborate on giving patients the best and op most optimal outcomes when they develop chronic pain. This includes patient-specific treatment plans and also enhancing one's knowledge in the biopsychosocial model of treating a patient. This directly falls in line with a particular learning objective from the Opioid REMS Education Initiative, safely and effectively integrating the range of therapeutic options for managing pain. As I mentioned, today we'll be discuss discussing the biopsychosocial bio model of treating pain and also diagnosing pain. The biologic components of chronic pain are well known. Patients with chronic pain have poor sleep, inflammation, there is, are known gender predispositions to certain pain conditions, et cetera, et cetera. But what is also clear is that there are psychological, social, and spiritual side effects associated with those patients with chronic pain. And if those components are not treated, then the patient does not do as well as those patients who have their entire psychosocial and behavioral model incorporated in their treatment outcome and algorithm. And so this means discussing patients with patients, their relationships, uh, their family circumstances, any history of psychiatric or psychological conditions like uh, major depressive disorder, if the patient has a predisposition to catastrophizing, whether they have religious faith and if this is suffered due to their chronic pain. And this requires a certain amount of empathy from the healthcare professional to understand that this is much more than simply a biological condition. Now, that what that means is that we must treat the patient in a multimodal fashion. Simply using clinical, traditional clinical management is usually not sufficient for a patient with chronic pain. However, the clinical management is necessary, including injection and procedural therapies and pharmacotherapies, which we will discuss a bit today. There's also the importance of talking to the patient and treating their sleep dysregulation, their psychiatric conditions, et cetera. And this means having behavioral interventions and physical therapy interventions occasionally with physical therapy, occupational therapy, and other modalities, and using professionals within your landscape to help you treat a patient. At this point, I'm going to turn it over to Wendy to talk about the role of primary care and the assessment and management of chronic pain. Thank you so much for that information. That was really excellent. So let's talk now about the role of primary care, not just in the assessment, but also in the management of chronic pain. We're going to talk about what are those indications to consult with or to refer to a pain management specialist or other types of specialty. We're gonna talk briefly about the basics, but what we thought we would do for this program is to really focus on those real world challenges. So let's start with a case. Let's take a look at this 46-year-old man with a long-standing history of chronic low back pain, type 2 diabetes, osteoarthritis, obesity, and major depressive disorder. He began with his back pain approximately five years ago following a motor vehicle accident. 
and he is with you today to establish care. His previous PCP retired, and he's waited a long time to establish care with your clinic and with you, and is here today to discuss his pain. His current pain status is, it ranges from a five to a nine out of 10. He has intermittent unilateral pain down that left leg with radiation into the foot, and he's experiencing increased pain in both of his knees from his osteoarthritis. His medication history, the records as well as a query of the PDMP reveals increasing doses of oxycodone ER over the past year. So when we take a look at his medicines, he's on oxycodone ER 80 milligrams Q12 with short acting oxy 15 to 30 for his breakthrough pain and it's been prescribed every three to four hours. In a review, he's averaging about 280 milligrams of oxy total in a given day, and the records confirm this, as does the query of the PDMP. He also uses diclofenac gel, four grams, four times a day, as needed to his knees. He's on sertraline, 100 milligrams once a day for his major depressive disorder, and he's using metformin, 1,000 milligrams, two times daily. His physical examination reveals a BMI of 38. He does have diminished or decreased range of motion, both flexion and extension of the lumbar spine. His reflexes, however, are equal. Heel and toe walking is intact, and there's no alarm findings on his exam. He presents to you today insisting that his opioids be increased. He cannot stand the pain. He's tired of being on disability, and he wants to have a better quality of life. So... I think we chose this case because as we both travel around the country, this is what we hear from a lot of our colleagues. No matter what specialty you're in, that you've acquired these patients, whether they're PCP retired or whether they've been referred to specialty, however it may be, and maybe you don't necessarily agree with the plan of care. And so let's have a discussion now, if we can, Amit, about what do we do, not just primary care, but even you, when you don't agree with how this patient has been managed? So let's start with, do you treat the patient as the previous provider did? And I'm gonna, I'll jump in here if you don't mind, but I would say that what's really important for everyone to know is you do not have to prescribe the way someone else has done it if you feel fundamentally that that type of approach is not the right approach. You know, to do these programs, I drove north and maybe a meat drove south. But the key is we want to get our patients to the same place. We just may not do it the same way. But if you if for me, if I disagree with a plan of care or I don't feel that it's a safe plan of care, I don't feel obligated to have to continue that plan. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I agree with you whole, wholeheartedly, Wendy. I have a lot of patients who come to my practice who have been on prior opioid doses that I didn't agree with, or perhaps opioid uh, prescriptions in a certain sequence that I don't agree with. For example, this patient is taking as-needed medication three, every three to four hours. Uh, that is more than I prefer to use in my practice. I think that uh, there's reasonable data that shows that if you get to more than, every, than four times a day, and usually more than three times a day, it dramatically increases the risk of addiction uh, and uh, misuse and abuse for the patient. And it also reminds the patient all the time that they're constantly having to take these medications. So, um, and, and that puts their pain at the forefront of their mind, which really defeats the, the psychological component of trying to work through the fact that you have this chronic condition. 
And so I uh, won't feel comfortable re-prescribing at those doses, and I don't feel it's necessary for a physician to do so. However, it's also important not to just leave it there, you know? So I wonder, Wendy, since you were the first one who said, hey, um, I wouldn't perhaps keep uh, the dosing the way it was or keep the medications the way it was, it, you still can't really abandon the patient. We know that. So uh, what kind of things would you do to modify the plan of care for a patient like this? First thing I might try to do is I would take a sertraline and do a switch over to maybe an SNRI. There could be some benefit in blocking some of his pain using an SNRI, like a duloxetine. I might go 160 milligrams of duloxetine and do a switch there. What I also need to consider is this may be opioid-induced hyperalgesia. We may be making his pain worse every time that dose is escalated. But I think it really requires a relationship with someone for them to think, why do you want to go down on my meds when and my pain is getting worse? So I think that's often hard to do. But he may also have some dose to opioid tolerance. This might be the time that we need to look at an opioid rotation and switching him to a different entity and maybe going up on a longer acting and reducing his breakthrough utilization. But he's on a fair amount of opioids here. And we certainly know that there's risk with that. I think that's completely true. And of course, you know, we would be worried about these high doses with opioid-induced hyperalgesia, which means that the increasing doses of opioids may be worsening the patient's pain. And uh, a lot of uh, primary care doctors and pain management doctors have been really reluctant to increase long-acting opioids or even start long-acting opioids since the CDC guidelines for the prescription of chronic of, of opioids for chronic pain came out in 2016. And actually, the new version will most likely have verbiage to say that maybe we went a little too far. And what has happened is there's too many patients on too many high-dose, short-acting opioids. A patient like this might really benefit from an opioid rotation and long-acting opioids. I think this patient would be a great patient. So I think you have to judge your own comfort, right? You have to know, what am I comfortable with? Do I know how to opioid rotate safely? Do I understand how to taper people down for opioid hyperalgesia? But the fact that his knee pain is worsening really makes me wonder, is he really having that hyperalgesia? So this might be a patient that it would be really appropriate. Does this patient need an intervention that I can't provide in primary care? He's got that unilateral radiating pain. I would think, does he need an MRI? And might he benefit from a referral to a pain clinic or to a neurospine or physical therapy? I think there's a lot of places that we could go with this gentleman so that he doesn't have to live this way any longer. And, you know, the, that's the benefit of if you have uh, pain management expertise available to you, if you're a primary care doctor, somebody like this would be a good patient for a referral even if the pain management doctor is not comfortable man taking over this opioid dose, just like you may not be, there may be some really good recommendations about how to taper or how to rotate the medication. Or most pain medicine doctors, I think, would choose to make that decision themselves with the patient and say, hey, let's decrease your dose or let's uh, rotate to another opioid. And the other thing is, if the patient buys into the decreasing dose, maybe we get the patient down to a dose low enough then maybe they'd benefit because of their tolerance, as you pointed out, Wendy, uh, from an intrathecal uh, pump with uh, opioid. That's not something we commonly use all the time, but this might be the right patient for it. You wouldn't know until you sent the patient to the pain provider. 
Also, as a pain physician, I see this patient and think, boy, do they need steroid injections in their knees? Or do they need genicular nerve blocks with subsequent rhizotomy for knee arthritis? Or do they need an epidural steroid injection? Have any of these things been offered to the patient, just like the duloxetine, to help decrease their pain so that we could decrease the opioid dose? I think just like every other disease out there, we manage it with multiple agents, right? That work in a different pathway and pain is no different. So I think this is a great segue. Maybe we could take a look at just a few more questions. So what do we do if there are access issues, meaning pain uh, providers are too far away, there's limited access to coverage. I know for me, I'm able to get people in for procedures a little more readily than I am for consults and maybe prescription management. But do you have any thoughts about that? I certainly do, and we can chat about them, but I'm wondering what you think. Well, you know, first and foremost, since the uh, pandemic started, there's a fair amount more access to certain services than there was before, especially with telehealth coverage for physical therapy and occupational therapy, and for uh, patients to be seeing specialists such as pain medicine physicians. So there is a little more access today, but nevertheless, that doesn't change the fact that telehealth, physical therapy, and occupational therapy is probably not as good as in-person, and you still may not be able to develop a relationship with a pain medicine physician such that they're able to take over opioid prescription, even if you can get them into telehealth. There's also insurance issues with getting patients to see specialists and the copays associated with therapy. I really do think it makes sense for primary care doctors right now in this age of limited access to consider educating themselves on chronic pain treatment, uh, both with interventions such as physical therapy, but also with pharmacologic management. And by doing courses like this one, uh, I think a lot of people will improve their uh, comfort level with taking care of patients with chronic pain in the situation in which they have access issues. You know, as a primary care provider for the last 30 years, I know how essential that role is. You know, we are really that hub. And so being able to have a great uh, empathetic relationship with the patient can really go a long way. And we're seeing this across a multitude of disease states that people who have fundamentally good relationships with primary care really have better outcomes. And so I think that's really essential. You know, that for me, there's 325,000 nurse practitioners in the nation. There are 100,000 physician assistants, and we're all here to answer the call to make sure that these patients are getting the best care in the right location and that we're managing them safely. So I hope that this program has really given our colleagues some strategies about what they can do, because even if you're in primary care and you don't agree with another primary care provider's recommendations, if you're in specialty, you may not agree either. Um, and so having those tools to kind of work that through is really important. That's absolutely the case. And uh, the most important thing I could say is if you find somebody that you trust who's a pain medicine specialist and you as a primary care provider want to work with that person, make sure you have open and effective lines of communication. If you could talk to that person on the phone, uh, not just by email, because email has, you know, construes tone sometimes as negative. You could really uh, work together to benefit your patients. I agree with you 100%. And I've had a number of specialists say to me over the years, we love working with your office because you do your work. You work the patients up. You don't turf people out just because you don't want to deal with them. You put some effective plans in place. And when those don't work, then you send up the signal like we need some help here. And I think that's really what it's all about. I mean, I just have one more question, and that is, 
for our listeners today, what are your suggestions about when we in primary care should refer to a pain specialist? And maybe we could set the stage with me saying to you, I currently refer when my patients have failed standard of care, when I'm concerned that there's a substance use or an opioid use disorder. I also refer for complex pain syndromes. Um, and I refer when patients are in need of interventions that I certainly am not able to prescribe or to, to administer. What am I missing and what would you recommend for our listeners today? I think that any primary care doctor should feel comfortable pres- sending a patient to a pain medicine specialist in those situations you described, if they've failed the, your typical standard of care, and uh, if there's an intervention that may be warranted for the patient to, uh, in, to decrease their medication use and to improve their quality of life and their improve their function. Uh, substance use disorder, some pain specialists do treat, but some don't, and you may need to find specifically somebody who treats substance use disorder. Oftentimes it's a psychiatrist, um, but certainly, but oftentimes it's primary care docs too. So it depends on if you have that X waiver. A lot of times we can look that up online and figure out which physicians in your community have that X waiver. Uh, but I would also say, you know, if you, anytime that you feel like you're over your head with a patient who uh, just something doesn't seem right, or the opioid dose doesn't seem like it makes sense, even sending a patient to a pain doc just for a second opinion and say, hey, what do you think about this? That's that's perfectly fine. And most of us enjoy those types of consults because it feels like we're working together to treat the patient. Those are some great suggestions. Thank you. That was That was really helpful. So today, I hope and we hope that we have helped you to be able to get your patients to the best place in the safest manner that none of us, no matter what our specialty, including primary care, should feel obligated to prescribe pain medications that they A, don't think are indicated or that you're not comfortable with or C, that are outside really the standard of care as as it exists today. And if you don't have a pain specialist readily available, you know, we may need to jump in as the primary care provider to either taper to wean that patient off, or maybe opioid rotate. So getting education about that is so important. Keep in mind, it's not just as Amit said, it's not just a biologic issue with pain. It's a biopsychosocial, spiritual components to pain as well. And multimodal therapy and treatment is truly where it's at. I wanna give you the opportunity. Is there anything else that you wanted to jump in and add on to this, Amit? I think the most important thing is to remember that you need to use a multimodal treatment approach to minimize the use of opioids, but also to help you rationally utilize opioids. So thank you all so much for participating with us today. And for more information about what is currently available and what is coming, please visit opioidremseducation.com for this course. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone.